Hello there and welcome to the Talking City podcast, the Manchester City podcast from the Manchester Evening News. And if you've been waiting two days for some expert analysis in the match of the day style of the Manchester City win at Crystal Palace, we'll do our best to bring it to you. I'm not sure we've got the gravitas of Alan Shearer and Ian Wright, but we'll do our best. My name is Joe Bray and joining me is uh, Simon Bajkowski. Si, how was your trip to uh, Crystal Palace? Yeah, yeah, it was very, very nice. Thank you. Uh, back a bit later than planned, but... Um... All all okay. So, um, yeah, a, a, a nice Saturday all in all, just kind of trying to uh, have some kind of normality amid the BBC eating itself. Yeah, and uh, we, uh, we'll we try not to do that in, in the next half hour when we're talking about, about City. And I, I did see some nice sightseeing uh, pictures of your, your journey to Selhurst Park, but we'll, we'll talk about the game. Let's, let's talk about the game. No, where, let's uh, talk about the journey because I, I don't, yeah. don't want to be um, <laughs> like, you know, a grumpy old northerner. But um, yeah, just like so many trains to Crystal Palace, which is like, you know, probably... Um, I think it's twice the distance um, from Crystal Palace to St Pancras in a car as it is from me to uh, Manchester and yet there are so many more trains um, that go direct and they actually turn up on time and are not cancelled overnight. It's it's incredible. Uh, and it was a very scenic train um, through, you know, St Paul's and over um, the... London Bridge so it was a very nice start to the day um and Crystal Palace is yeah one of the it's kind of one of the more atmospheric grounds isn't it like the fans are close in on you but everything's quite quite close um the players have to kind of walk very closely past you to to get anywhere so they they struggle to get away from you which is which is nice (laughs) for a change yeah, that very much helps when you want to get one of them for a chat. I remember when I went to Palace a year or two ago, it took me an hour after getting off the M25 to get to Selhurst Park in the car. And your your lovely train journey sounds far better than that horrible, horrible hour that I had. Um, but yeah, no City were uh, were quite good, weren't they? It was a 1-0 win, Erling Haaland penalty. They had to sort of be patient, let's say, for, for large portions of the game. But it, that, that feels like one of those wins that you look back at and think that that's... That's a title team. That yeah, I was I was having this discussion at half time with someone that like you know had they scored it would have been a really good half, but because they didn't score it was kind of like well that was nothing really happened, um, and I don't know whether it's kind of you know you get you learn um, to sort of pay attention to what Pep Guardiola says more and more. It was kind of like, yeah, well, actually, you can't expect Man City to create too many chances because Crystal Palace guys, they're really good. Um, and and they were for, for most of the game. Um, and so, you know, Palace said countless times in countless different uh, forums before the game, uh, mediums before the game, this is how we're going to make things tough for Man City. And they really did. And, you know, I think the captain, uh, Milivojevic, pointed out in the in the programme that they were the only team last season to stop City from scoring in both games. Um, and and this season, City have beaten them twice. So that is, you know, real real season-on-season progress. Um, and while he did miss a pretty bad chance in the first half, that's now four goals against Palace for for Erling Haaland so you would have to say that he has been pretty instrumental in City winning two games that they would not have won otherwise um, 
So, yeah, it, you know, Palace frustrated them for a long time, but City played well, stayed patient and got the win. Yeah, I think that was, especially when it got into the second half and City were on top and, they, I mean, on Sky Sports, they kept saying Crystal Palace have not had a shot on target for two games. They've still not had a shot on target. And it, it felt like one of those games, maybe a little bit like the Nottingham Forest one where it was all City, but it just wouldn't go in the back of the net and they just had to keep working hard and keep trying to sort of find those those avenues. And and they did in the end and it it was quite a, a simple routine, wasn't it? That it, it wasn't scientific. It wasn't a big, long sort of flowing move. It was just a, a short corner. Ilkay Gundogan was was alive to it and, and Michael Elise somehow decided to, uh, to clap him over in the box. And I think it came like about 30 seconds after another penalty shout, which wasn't really a penalty. It was never going to be given, but the, the referee must have thought, oh, fantastic. I don't get any... And any scrutiny on that previous decision because this is one of the easiest decisions he'll give give all game and yeah Erlen Haaland steps up was what was the atmosphere like in the ground was the frustration from the Crystal Palace fans because I would imagine they've worked so hard they've played so well defensively and then they just do something stupid like that yeah not not as much as I would have thought um you know there was plenty of goodwill towards Vieira kind of before the game and signing autographs and everything and he, even at the end um, you know, I, I kind of feel like they recognised that Palace did play very well, but were also up against a a very good side um, in City, who sort of you know were were set up themselves not to give Palace anything. Um, and I suppose whether by luck or design, you know, City got their break by City broke Palace's kind of resistance by exploiting kind of one of their worst defenders in Elise. Um and, and that's that was enough um to do it. But it was it was a very good test for City. Um and Palace did play very well. I was kind of reminded of um Palace Liverpool a few weeks ago when Liverpool I think were coming in off the back of a very good result. Um it, my FPL history would think so because I think I had a few players and then they did nothing but um, yeah and and Palace just kept Liverpool at bay and they had a few chances and Liverpool had a few chances but it was nil-nil and it was like well that was a you know a good draw for Palace but also kind of an example of why Liverpool are not challenging for the title and you feel like City scoring and winning the game is kind of why they are and why they're good enough. And had they not scored, I would probably be saying that is maybe why Arsenal are as far ahead as they are. But they did score, so I'm going with the narrative. Well, it's those sort of 1-0 games that can go either way and it, it probably backs up the what Pep Guardiola was saying, say at Nottingham Forest, where City donated so much and should have won but didn't. And it's just that that one goal, that one moment that... that really counts and and changes how how you think i'm just looking now liverpool came into that game on the back of a 2-0 win at newcastle um they did get trounced by real madrid in the week before but i i, I see your point and and palace also held united as well didn't they they're, they're not a bad team at home they've caused city a lot of problems especially in the in the reverse fixture as well they went 2-0 ahead for uh, i mean two pretty simple set pieces but they still had to do it and and went ahead 2-0 at, at the etihad and I, I think that was playing on guardiola's mind wasn't it that if City let Palace sort of do what they can do, they will punish you. I, I asked Pep 
before the game and I said, is is there any temptation to look ahead to the, the big week that you've sort of previewed and said it will be a defining week in the season? And he said, if we do that, we'll disrespect Crystal Palace and we'll come undone. And he named about four or five Palace players who absolutely rightly could cause City problems. Um, and I think he did well by focusing on that and adjusting his team selection to account for the uh, the set-piece threat. Um, and the, the, the tactics as well were, it, it wasn't a free-flowing City side because if you go sort of committing men forward, then Palace have those players like Zahar and, and Ayu and Elise who can break and can cause you problems. So I, th- I think Guardiola would have imagined a kind of game like that. It was exactly the kind of game that you would expect at Crystal Palace, wasn't it? And City now have quite a good record at Sellers Park. They've not conceded for a while, but none of those games have been easy. It's it's always quite a grind down there. So I, th- I think Guardiola is aware of that. And you feel like increasingly so, yes, he's been here seven years, but he's always aware of what different grounds can do and how, how different games will set up. So I, I think all in all, a 1-0 win from the penalty spot it might look on the face of it as, you know, maybe you've got lucky or whatever. I think that was a, a very well-engineered result from City. And uh, it's also good to see Erling Haaland back in the goals. I say back in the goals because he's, 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 he's what, on 33, 34 now. But it, he has slowed, his rate has slowed. But they, these are the moments where you need him to to show up and, and stay calm and, and just put the ball in the back of the net. And he looked like a player who had a, not, a point to prove, would you say? He, he, he was... Very emotional, let's say, at the end of the game. Yeah, he was. Um, he he kind of went over at the end of the game to the city fans to applaud them, but also was kind of cupping his ear towards um, the Palace fans behind the goal. Um, I hadn't really heard any any stick that he'd been getting, but he clearly felt that there was there was something to be said. He, he's kind of as as much as he's got ice in his veins. He's a very emotional guy and heart on his sleeve when he plays um and you could kind of feel the the relief from him when a when he got the chance to to score from the spot um and then also when he when he scored but I think it's important that that relief was there from before he took the penalty which kind of shows you that this is a guy who does expect to score he was like thank goodness I've got this chance to make up for for the earlier one, um, but yeah, he he said in in an interview afterwards, he um, said the you know he, he was asked sort of what were you thinking about before you took the penalty, and he said the celebration. So that tell tells you some kind of um, special thi- thing about what a special player he is. Um, and, and yeah, it, it does feel like he hasn't scored that many goals lately. Um, however. Um, that is got league goal number twenty eight, and we have what twelve, thirteen games to twelve games to play still. Um, so yeah, but he hasn't scored uh, the bulk of his goals away from home either. He's been kept a lot quieter away. So you know, a very important goal, and like I was saying, like he's been bought for the big moments in the Champions League and the Premier League, but the big moments in the Premier League can come away at Crystal Palace or at home to Crystal Palace when you're 2-0 down. You never really know um, un- until it happens where your season-defining moments in the in the league are going to be. Um, and it was, yeah, a, a huge kind of celebration from Haaland, both when he scored and then uh, shortly afterwards when, when City won the game. Um, very, very happy guy. Um, 
afterwards he was sort of laughing and joking and uh, I think he, he roared as he uh, came back into the dressing room after his media duties so he was he was very happy indeed with that with that win and yeah because you know that penalty allowed him to change the narrative from a, another bad miss to a, another match winning performance basically with his penalty yeah, and like you say, that is what City bought him for, that those sort of cool moments. And I think in one of his interviews, he said, we'd seen Liverpool drop points where they lost at Bournemouth. And if you compare that goal where Mo Salah had that penalty and he blazed it almost over the stand, you can come, like, that that whole game was changed. Liverpool were never getting back into that game after that penalty. City had that penalty, scored it and controlled the game from then on. And I mean, you compare City's result at Bournemouth where they dominated. Bournemouth were good in the second half, but City were 4-0 up by that point. So th- these are the kind of games where City are sort of slowly but surely putting a run together, winning how they have to at these difficult grounds where not everyone is going to come away with the three points and, and they're slowly putting that together. And do you think City would have dropped points in this game a few weeks ago in that regard? I'm I'm thinking, I don't want to keep mentioning the Forest game, but the Brentford game at home, the Everton game, they've, they've been guilty of not taking the chances in the past this season and, and dropping points when they shouldn't. They did last season, they, they were nil-nil at, at Selhurst back. It feels like this is a game where it maybe shows a bit of progress. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think there was a bit of relief in the press box for the sort of City correspondence because for a long time it was looking like we were kind of set for another game where City would drop points and nobody would be particularly pleased to have seen that 90 minutes, but Guardiola would come out with some justification afterwards and say, well, we didn't concede any chances, we kept Palace to a minimum and we created, you know, at least one, maybe a few chances to win the game and you sort of go, well, yeah, yeah, that that's true, but, like, nobody really enjoyed the game and you've dropped points, but it's very hard to sort of pick up, pick apart the performance because it's just not quite there. Um, whereas, yeah, I, I think it, it's kind of a bit easy to slip into oh, you know, these are the these are the matches that champion teams win. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of truth in that, and City knew they needed to win, and they did enough. Um, to win the game enough to take the lead and then enough to to protect that lead so it it was a really really professional performance and all they can do is put pressure on Arsenal really Um, and that is exactly what they weren't doing say at home to Brentford or when they went to Nottingham Forest Um, you know I think um, when they went to Forest Arsenal were the early kickoff and were at Aston Villa having lost to City in the week and were behind Aston Villa and Kyle Walker got off the team bus and said oh yeah we're all aware of the Arsenal result and then um, you know Arsenal ended up winning and and City kind of blew it so in that sense it is progress for City Um, but I think also you can put it together with these seven games beforehand that they've uh, I think it's now six wins and two draws in the last eight games and say that block of games, there is not a bad performance in them. Um, and that is very, very promising for, for what lies ahead. You've sort of answered a couple of my next questions, but in terms of the, in terms <laughs> of the title race, yeah. it is one of those games where you're not going to remember really City's 1-0 win at Palace. But it is 
one of those important ones that you just have to get through and and get the three points and move on. And, and Guardiola called this week decisive, defining in terms of the season. It's City's last game before the international break. Arsenal have another one, so can extend that lead, even though they will give City a game in hand. But Guardiola knew how important this game was just to get those three points on and do what City could do and then go on and we'll talk about the Champions League and FA Cup later in a little bit. But no, I, I think these are the games where City need to show Arsenal that they are improving, they are just going to win whatever they have to do. They don't have to play that well or they played well, but not sort of pretty, not sort of free-flowing football. Um and yes, Arsenal went and, and beat Fulham, didn't they, quite comfortably on on Sunday? But City can't do anything about that. And it seems like for months, all the players were talking about, let's put a run together. We need to put these sort of long runs of 10, 15, 20 games where we're not losing, which is those are the runs that have defined previous title races. They've been saying they need to do that and then not backing it up on the pitch. I think now they are backing it up, like you say, six wins, two draws, if they can get through this week with two more wins, Guardiola will be happy because they're still in three competitions. That'll be 10 games and I think that would be a real message to to Arsenal, whoever they've got to play, that City aren't going away. And I think players like John Stones and, and Erling Haaland said that, didn't they, after the game, that they can't do anything about what Arsenal do. They can only look after themselves, but they have to just keep winning and, and show Arsenal that they're, they're not going away. And it does feel like every game, there's now a question, well, there was anyway, but there's, there's questions about Arsenal and the title race. And the answer's pretty much the same, isn't it, from Guardiola? But until they get a chance to to overtake, then I think we'll be we'll be seeing the same thing, won't we? Yeah, but like you say, it's really important because um, Arsenal do play again before City play. Um, so had City drop points this weekend and then Arsenal smash Fulham and the gap is... Um, you know, seven points and then 10 points if Arsenal win again. So City have gone from a place where they could have reduced the gap to two and now suddenly it's 10. You know, that's huge. And the th- this idea of winning game after game after game, it it's exhausting for your opponent if they know, you know, that there's no hope for them. There's only the pressure that, well, they're going to win. So we have to win. And Arsenal have dealt with it superbly. Uh, you know, I really didn't think after they lost to City at, at the Emirates, and then they've they've had a they were they really wobbled at um, Aston Villa, and uh, Bournemouth was a bit more of a sort of blip, uh, you know, just one of those things. But but they still came back and won. They they've done so well, um, and City will really have to work hard and hope that they slip up unexpectedly to to chase them down but but City getting back into that groove kind of um, helps to kind of exhaust Arsenal in a way that Arsenal have been exhausting City with these late comebacks and and everything else so it, it we're, we're at that stage of the season where um, Guardiola would want his team's performances to be good to give them the best chance in all three competitions but also those, it, it doesn't really matter how you win games, um, as such as long as you win them. And you know that was true on Saturday. It will be true on Tuesday against Leipzig. Yeah, I think you can point at City sort of grinding out a win at Crystal Palace and saying that's a, a kind of result of a team who has the credit to go on and challenge the title. You can also look at Arsenal's late wins and sort of never say die attitude that 
they deserve a lot of credit for. Um, and I think I, I was looking, and I think with City's what will be a game in hand after the FA Cup weekend, I don't think City play or will have a chance to play that game in hand until the sort of City will now have a game in hand for months as they chase Arsenal. So I think that will add a, maybe a different dynamic that we've not seen. I'm thinking of the, the season when company smashed it in against Leicester on the sort of last week of the season and gave City the advantage right at the death. But that that could be something that City have to deal with. Um, but we will uh, come back to the title race in, in due course. I think we'll uh, switch our engines now to league in part two. Hello then, welcome back to the Talking City podcast. We've just been discussing Manchester City's win at Crystal Palace. Um, we will be discussing the Champions League. There were a couple of sort of selection decisions that we should get through first at Crystal Palace. Iowa Walker's had a, a sort of eventful week off the field. Guardiola sort of gave him a bit of bad result, but then dropped him from the starting lineup. Similarly, for different reasons, Kevin De Bruyne in form, but Guardiola said he's ready to play these games, said he wouldn't necessarily start all the games and then dropped him again at Crystal Palace. It was a, a back four of four centre-backs. How do you sort of rate or assess those those selection decisions? Because it was two key players were, were dropped from the starting lineup. Well, now that they've won, it's two terrific selection decisions. That's um, the case. Yeah, I mean, I think... You could make a point for sort of keeping Walker and De Bruyne fresh for the the Champions League. Um, but I also think having watched the Palace game or, you know, what thinking what to expect from it, you can also kind of make a point without Leipzig that it made sense for De Bruyne and, and Walker to be on the bench. De Bruyne more than Walker because, um, you know, Guardiola is super cautious of this real pace in the Palace attack that can cause them problems on the counter. Palace can cause them problems on the counter if City give the ball away um, in possession. Who's been giving the ball away more than anyone else, really? De Bruyne. Right, well, it kind of makes sense for him to be him to be on the bench. Uh, Walker, I was kind of more surprised at in the sense that he's usually the go-to against kind of Zahar uh, with his pace. But at the same time, he has also think made at least one big error against Palace and um, I, I think the thinking is sort of well we don't need him to defend against counter-attacks if we don't concede any counter-attacks um, and, and in that sense it, it worked like a dream like Walker is, is the man you want to be sprinting back um, stopping attackers but if they're not given that room in the first place then then you don't need him Um and four centre backs, you know, you know, John Stones is um, so versatile, uh, popping up kind of all over the place, and he is a real, you know, it's really good for City to have him back. But all four centre backs played played very well. Um, you know, they they did what they were supposed to do at both ends from set pieces, um, and 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 the midfield worked very well as well so I think you know you can see how you could say Walker and De Bruyne on the bench at Palace and will play against Leipzig um, but I don't necessarily think it's uh, 
it's like that. I think it's just Walker and De Bruyne weren't as suited for the the game plan that Guardiola wanted to execute um, as other players in the team. I think it sums up the season really, doesn't it? That less fancied players are, are sort of doing better and get, getting the rewards than, than the big names. And uh, yeah, De Bruyne hasn't been at his best. He had the illness. Guardiola said he was passive, didn't he, against Bristol City in the first half. And he, he wasn't much better against Newcastle. Like, I think on form, Bernardo Silva and Ilkay Gundogan are playing a lot better and both have justified that selection with, with their sort of very hard-working performances at, at Crystal Palace. And I think he said with, with the four centre-backs, he said he wanted to be more solid. And I can understand why he's gone with, with those sort of those players who are probably a bit taller and a bit more organised as well from, from the set-pieces. Palace obviously didn't have a shot on target, but they didn't even didn't ever look a threat like they did at the Etihad. And, you know... Guardiola hates conceding those easy goals, doesn't he? But those two against Crystal Palace, I think he called City soft in after that home game for the way that they, they let Palace all of that game and, and force City to have to score four to win the game. So I think he will be a lot happier that they were just solid with those with those centre backs and it just shows how how many well and who are versatile now. Like John Stones has appeared as a, a right back option where he, he was never trusted to play out of centre, centre, central defence in previous seasons. And now he's playing at right back and inverting into midfield from, from the first minute. And it, yeah, it, it feels like it's just an evolution of, of the defence that Guardiola can do that. And you've got players like Akanji and Ake who just continue to play well and make it hard. And we, we're talking about this defence and we're not mentioning a Merrick Laporte on the bench who's not got a look in at the moment. And it's 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 a good problem to have if, if we use that that sort of cliche that, that Guardiola says every now and again. Um, I want to go back to De Bruyne. He spoke in the in the mix zone afterwards, didn't he? He said, uh, what did he say? I'm an old man. Talk, talk us through what he said and, and his, an reaction to, yeah, his reaction I mean, to De, sort of that recent form. De Bruyne is better than you know, most players for speaking in the mix zone. Um, the mix zone being kind of an area um, where reporters can stand after the game and ask players if they would like to speak to them. Um, so De Bruyne are better than most, but and they often say no. You, you know, you can you, you get one, uh, hopefully, and two if you're lucky, but sometimes none. Um, but also it tends to be players that have played well in that game or... Or, or inform who are happier to stop. So like Foden stopped after beating Newcastle, say. Um, so fair play to De Bruyne for stopping um, after he'd played 10 minutes after being on the bench. And there's lots of questions around his around his form and he was he was happy to to take them on. Um, and he, he said he's, he's aware that he's he's not in in the best form, but he's he's an old, I think he said, I'm an old man in this game. Um, as in he's been doing what he's been doing for eight years at City and much longer in his career um, and saying, I will keep doing that and I will keep giving everything. Um, and he said, you know, if you're not in, in the team, then you have to come on and give everything for 10 minutes. And that's what I did. And, and that's, that is kind of what we've seen over the last few weeks, um, that even though... It, <clears throat> His kind of radar hasn't been there. The effort has still very much been 
been there and he's still very much contributing as a as a player. But you know, the, I I sort of asked him, you know, whether he, he mentioned um, stats, and I, I asked him if he if he looks at stats when there's questions about his his form or he feels he doesn't play well. Does he kind of look at if his numbers are down or if he um, you know if he needs to do anything or is he more a player that relies on on feel um and just goes off that and what people tell him and he he sort of said it it varies um but he was well aware that he's assisted more more goals than anyone else in the league and also created more chances than anyone else in the league um despite having missed I don't think he's started five of the last nine in the league so um it, which is what we've been saying that you know De Bruyne not being at the best of form is a is an issue for City, but uh, De Bruyne at sixty seventy percent will still produce a lot more than many more will at a hundred percent. And and he sort of said, "Oh, people expect me to score or assist every every match, um, so it's fine." And, and someone said, "You know, do you think we have higher standards for you then, Kevin?" Um, and he, he came back and said, I have higher expectations of myself than you will ever have for me, which is um, very, very typical um, of De Bruyne. Um, and, and you know, absolutely fair to say. He, he knows that he's not um, at his best, but he is trying and working very hard to to get there and he's still contributing to the team you know he came on at Palace and and did a job and there was one absolutely glorious crossfield ball for for Grealish that he picked out as if it was nothing so so the, the, there's still plenty there um and I, I mean I think he's speaking to uh to us today again in the in the press conference before Leipzig so uh, I'm sure he will have even more to say um, but he is an old head. He's he's thirty one uh, in in this team, and he's been through a lot. Uh, and he might not be as fresh as he was when he was uh, twenty one, but he's still got a, a lot to bring. I think. I think he deserves a lot of credit as well for coming up and, like you say, when it's not going well, taking those questions. It's not the first time he's done it this season, but. He, it's it's so easy for him to be able to walk past and say no I've only played 10 minutes and I, d- I don't have anything to say but he, he does come on and, and answer those questions and he's probably going to be in a stronger position for it for, for being honest and open and, and saying that and that that answer where he says he's got higher expectations than anyone else is is it feels typical of him but I'm, I'm just looking at his stats now he's got 18 assists across all competitions this season he's got 13 in the league and we keep saying every week don't we that even De Bruyne at his worst could still go and break his own assist record yeah yeah and it, and it it's kind of like Haaland like we expect so many goals but Haaland has dominated so much of the coverage this season that De Bruyne has almost been like forgotten about and then it's like, oh yeah, we do we do expect De Bruyne to just find Haaland every game. Sure, he'll have a lot to say about that uh, when he speaks to the the media before Leipzig. And uh, we will now go ahead and talk about Leipzig after a short break. Well. 
welcome back to part three of the Talking City podcast. We've dissected uh, City's uh, very good win at Crystal Palace and Kevin De Bruyne's very intriguing interview after that game. And now we look ahead to Pep Guardiola's second decisive game of the exciting Champions League last 16 second leg game against uh, RB Leipzig. It was 1-1 after the first leg. It seemed like both sides were relatively happy to to share that point. Guardiola said he wanted control in that game rather than too much attacking. It, it felt like he was happy to take a, take a point from Germany and bring it back to the Etihad. It's going to be a uh, it should be a good atmosphere. Guardiola sort of appealed already for for the fans to come and and help the team, and it, it's by no means uh, a guarantee that City will be in that quarterfinal draw because Leipzig showed in that second half of that first leg that they are going to be uh, a very very strong opposition for City. So how how do you see City lining up, and how do you see them approaching the game? Because they went for control in that first leg. Did they do the same at the start of this second leg, and then go for attack, or did they just come out and try and try and blitz the opponent? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, Leipzig did to City in that second half what few teams have been able to do um, this season in terms of kind of wrestling control away from them. Um, and, you know, you can kind of, you know, City put in a very good performance against Newcastle, but also Newcastle missed a number of very good chances. And you can kind of see if City are that open again. Um, they run the risk of Leipzig taking those chances um, despite kind of the key absences they've got in, in attack. Um, it It's, yeah, it, it's set to be a very exciting night, which is very good and not something that we can say very often um, at the Etihad for Champions League last 16 games because normally City have won 5-0 in the first leg and the second leg is always a bit... Right, well, you know, opportunity to rest, but there's not much to go at. It's very rare that you get a game at this stage at the Etihad that has jeopardy. Um, so, yeah, I think it. I think everyone will be more up for it than um, than they usually are, which can only be be good for for everyone. But it, yeah, it's kind of um, a test of City's sharpness. I would say it's always. Champions League, how sharp clinical can you be? Um, and it's because if, if they don't, if they're not sharp on the night, then they're out. And uh, all this sort of good performances and good run and eight games very well that we've been talking about kind of gets kiboshed if, if City lose um, tonight because one of the main objectives for the season will be a bit over. Um, so it is kind of do or die. You need to turn up and win this game by whatever means necessary. Yeah, I think if you go out to Real Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain or, or Chelsea or, or someone like that, as City have done in the past, you can say, oh, do you know what? It was a, a, another team who's who's up there calling for, for the Champions League. If you go out to Leipzig, they are a very good team and Guardiola won't let you forget that but it will be looked at externally as a last 16 exit when City should be competing to be in the final. And I think the the team selection is going to be one of the most interesting of the season. And I'm looking at who played in in Leipzig and it was the game where Walker was essentially a right winger and it allowed Mahrez and Grealish to play sort of inside the channels, if you like. And Bernardo Silva was there, but not really the left back. And Nathan Ake was sort of in a back three and patrolling and it seems like those experiments have 
disappeared a little bit over the last couple of games. It's been a, a definitive back four with Ake as the left, the left back in the last couple of games. So it will be interesting to see how Guardiola wants to approach that game and does he want to bring Bernardo back as sort of a, a false left back, if you like, or is it going to be more of a a definitive back four as he played at, at Crystal Palace? But then do you play Kyle Walker again? Does Amerik Laporte come back in? It does there's only one or two, maybe three players who you can think, yeah, they're guaranteed to start. And I would say that's Haaland, Rodri and Edison. I, I think apart from that, there's probably not no one else who can confidently say I will start. And like you say with um, Haaland before, he's scoring a lot of his game goals at home. Now, in the Sky Sports build-up to the Palace game, they had a stat about Jack Grealish, which said in the Premier League, so not the Champions League, but in the Premier League, all of his goals and assists have come away from home and he's got a better success rate of his dribbling. And now City and home and away tactics are different and how opposition sides uh, set up are different. But it, that sort of made me think, you know, does he does he start thinking about maybe Grealish not, not playing these, these sort of games, even though Grealish offers so much control and has been playing so well and seems to have that left wing place locked down? I don't think... It, I, even though we think, yes, he's been playing, what, 10 games out of 11 on that left wing, he still probably has to fight for his place as well. So now I'm, I, we predict this team every week, don't we? I, I've got no idea what Guardiola is going to do, what I'm going to suggest. I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm lost for, lost for ideas for this one. Yeah. And that in part speaks to kind of how good Leipzig have been at, at challenging city because, you know, after, after that second half and and also kind of Guardiola going on the pitch afterwards and saying to the players, you know, that was really good. That was exactly what I wanted from you. Don't let your heads go down. Um, and then coming out afterwards and, and sort of defending the point. Um, it, it's... It, it, we're not used to seeing City in this position. Um, and so we're not used to how they will get out of it um, and and where they want to be in the quarterfinals. I think there will be, you know, I, I kind of think it's unlikely that Laporte will come back in just because he's not played uh, many matches recently and is, you know, the, that's a, a separate bubbling topic that's maybe for another podcast. But um, Akanji, Ake, Diaz and Stones are all... Um, such good options. I, th- I think, you know, at least three of those start, um, if not four. But then I'm also thinking, well, you know, does is Rico Lewis an outside bet to come in instead of Walker and play that kind of multifunctional role? I'm not sure. Um, it, it's, it, it will all come down to how Guardiola sees the game and does he want to kind of blow Leipzig away with you um, De Bruyne's and Foden's um, or does he want to go with all out control with you Bernardo's and Mares and Grealish um, and you know also kind of adding Alvarez into the, the chaos crew um, who kind of came on at, at Crystal Palace and, and again created something out of nothing so does he does he go with that it is, is going to be one of the more interesting teams of the season I think yeah, we were always set up for a 
pep surprise, aren't we? But I think when that team comes out on uh, on tomorrow night at, at the Etihad, I think we'll be trying to work out who plays where and, and what system and we'll, we'll settle on something and then they'll line up and suddenly John Stones is playing centre-forward and, and we've got no idea. So, um, no, it should be uh, a fascinating game and, and like you say, I've, you, you can't really predict how it's going to go, but it is so important for City just to get through and I think it will be a, a test of how far they've come in these sort of last eight games or so but also this season and and what they want to do this, this season has been the year where City have openly said and the players we need to win this Champions League whether it's for our legacy or for Guardiola's legacy or you know just this group they've, they've been saying it very clearly and you know if, if they were to to lose to Leipzig that would be a failure you've got to, got to say but you can't underestimate a very good Leipzig side who did something that as you say, few teams have done this season in the, in that first leg. So, yeah, I'm I'm really really looking forward to it, and I'm going to let you go first with the score prediction because I've I've got I'm I'm stuck. <laughs> what what are you thinking? Uh, three nil, <laughs> three nil. I think it'll be tight and tense, but I think yeah, they will probably add a, a bit of late gloss to the the score line and and go through. I'll say 2-1 to City. I can see Leipzig doing something on the break or, or from a set piece like they did last time. I don't think City will have it all their own way and uh, I think there might be a few nervy moments, but no, they, they should get through and uh, see what happens after that. So uh, yeah, if you want to want to follow that, we will be at the Etihad tomorrow night and bringing you all the, uh, all the analysis um, for that. We will be back later this week week with the Talking City podcast um, ahead of the Burnley game in the FA Cup and the return of Vincent Company. Um, we'll also be obviously looking to see how City did at, at Leipzig and how that will affect their season going forward and you can follow us both on Twitter uh, you can follow Manchester Evening News on Twitter at Man City MEN on Facebook and on YouTube. Uh, so thanks for joining us and we'll be back later this week. Mm-hmm.